Hi, I'm Joel. This is the Creativity Pulse podcast, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas, and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. I chat with my guests about their life and business and their approach to creativity. The guests share some of their methods and techniques with us so we can try and understand how some of the more creative people around us go about being, well, exactly that, more creative. For those of you just joining us, let me explain how things work. There's a weekly episode with a guest lasting between 15 and 20 minutes. There's then a series of three episodes. They're really interesting people, and my idea, initial idea anyway, of two episodes meant the episodes were getting to be a marathon of listening. There is also a takeaway with the third guest episode. This summarizes the whole conversation with some creative ideas linked in. It includes some insights to help you exercise, flex, and build your creative mental muscle. You'll also find some information on the website that helps you do this. Check out the creative ideas generators, for instance. I'm back with John Brewer. Let's get straight back into the conversation. John and I have been talking about leadership and promotion. Moving on to your business coaching side of things, you're obviously a busy man, (laughs) doctoral students, your day job, as you call it, and then your business coaching. What got you onto that? So that was a total, like, uh, I was a reluctant leader to begin with. It wasn't something that, like, I set out when, you know, I finished school, I'm going to go into leadership and do that. It was more of a voluntold situation. Um, a position had been vacated. They needed someone to fill it. I got called into an office and told I was filling it. <laughs> and and uh, ended, ended up totally loving that and just became a kind of a student of leadership. I got connected with a great executive coach. I have now he's one of my mentors and I have another mentor that are just incredible leaders and and people. And, um, through working with them, I, one of my kind of big things that I really appreciate and love is ones that self-reflection, like people feel stuck frequently and, oftentimes it's their own doing, right? Like they, they work themselves into situations and they just need someone that can kind of be that objective party. That's like, Hey, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about this instead of you're stuck in this one thing. And now the world's ending. Um, and then the other part is, uh, going into leadership was I've, I've seen a fair amount of people that just don't create great cultures, don't create, you know, they might get results, but they totally forget the people. Uh, one of my mentors always talked about the, you, you know, as a leader, you, you're rowing a boat and you have two oars and one oars results and one oars people. And if you don't row them at the same time, you're going in circles. And so um, I, I think we see that a lot, right? They're in a very results oriented culture, you're seeing where that's just going in circles. Yeah. You're achieving things, but are you actually making it a better place to work, making this a better, you know, place for employees, making people feel excited, all of that. And so through all of that, it was kind of this thing of, I just started randomly getting phone calls or um, emails from friends and stuff that like, Hey, I came across this guy. Would you mind talking with him? I think he has a ton of potential. And uh, so that was kind of it. And I never formally really launched anything. Now I'm gearing up to kind of do a much more formal, like this is, something I'll do. 
but I just love helping people. I love helping with that type of thing. And, and kind of the end goal is how can we make this a more joy filled kind of professional thing? A lot of people look at leadership with dread, right? Like, Oh my gosh, this is a drag to have to do this. Well, really it's a huge opportunity. It can be so fun if you, if you set it up well and, and a huge part of that's just helping people understand the people side because the results side's great, right? Like they, a lot of people can lock onto that. Here's our strategy. Here's that. I mean, we've all met incredibly brilliant people at that that forget to bring the people along with them. And then that strategy is executed. The results are great and it's not sustainable because now you don't have any people to actually continue to carry it out. Sort of like the DJ with the MC. Are we having a great time out there? Hello? Is, oh, oh. So, so, sorry, chaps, they've all gone home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a great that's a great analogy, you know, the DJ the DJ that's playing all yacht rock but the entire group likes hip hop and so <laughs> now you have no one but it's cuz you didn't actually check in and figure out what do the people need and want and are you an engaged enough leader to to do that and, um or just engaged enough in your own life, right? Like leadership expands beyond an actual leader position like a manager or something like that and how are we leading our lives to to find joy? I I mean, working in the mental health space you see a lot of almost fear of joy joy i mean Brene brown's shared it in a lot of her books that joy is like the most vulnerable emotion that we can feel right uh, and a lot of people are afraid of that right how many people do you know that experience a moment of joy and immediately it's followed by when's the shoe gonna drop that like fear response um and so i like working with people on that too because you hear that a lot like oh things are going great but and then they give you 700 reasons why it's not going to continue to work out and you're like the interesting thing is to continue success you just need one reason why it's going to work out sure you can come up with 900 reasons why it's not but what's that one reason that's going to work out and let's lean into that a little bit we all suffer buyer's remorse you buy something and 20 minutes later you're like oh my gosh it costs that amount. Does does blue actually go? Is it my color? And it's kind of weird. Maybe maybe that's an ingrained part of our psychology. Do you think that we're always going to fight with as sort of human beings? Factors there. It's a lot easier to to see that. I mean, when you were talking about the Economist, uh, the psychology of money was an incredibly interesting book because it was you know it's about you know financial stuffs way more psychological than this like math related type issue and i think we run into that all the time where it's more of a, a psychological thing of it's easier to prepare for disappointment than to see kind of accomplishment or joy or happiness or any of that right because then you hit happiness and you get to best case scenario i mean you always hear like prepare for the worst prepare for the worst and it's like well what if you prepare for the best what how, how would your mindset shift there and um one i think a lot of people would probably take actions that they've held off on forever if they looked at kind of what's the best case scenario here versus the worst i'm not saying you should optimistically blindly go into the world but there needs to be a little bit more focus and what could go well here i think we they've been quite a number of studies we um, excel at um, avoiding loss aversion uh, we're not so good at uh, sort of grabbing you know what really should be seen as something that we should go for because we're frightened of losing not what we're grabbing but what we might possibly have as an opportunity um, other than that um, do you think 
leaders are naturally or natural leaders or created? Oh, I think you can create a leader for sure. There's definitely some things that people naturally are gonna gonna um, excel at and need to have less of a learning curve. But I think that um, leadership can be created. Right? There's there is a kind of a science to it. I would say of of how how do you help people with one of just like, how do they identify what's important? How do you, how do you help people do that? A lot of that can be learned. Um, and a lot of that can be taught. So I think more so the important side is, are you, is that person willing to learn? Like when I look at, am I going to promote somebody? One of the number one things that's the most important to me is how self-aware are they? And, and how willing are they to learn? And I'll ask a couple of questions whenever I interview people and, and looking specifically at that, like, are they taking time to reflect on their strengths, what they do well, all of that, or do they think they're just the best at everything or the worst at everything? That can be a hard one too. Um, and then how willing are they to learn? If you say like, Hey, if you got into a jam, what type of support would you need? And they're like, Oh, I'd figure it out. It'd be fine. I'm like, Oh, giant red flag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably not not quite ready for that yet you know there needs to be um i mean getting into leadership is a is a experience and humility for sure <laughs> you, you think you might have it all figured out and then you have a lot of employees that tell you you don't pretty quick and uh, you have to be willing to listen and understand that they're the ones that do the work every day you're there to support them and make that job a good thing and so i mean i've been doing this for uh, a number of years now and still every time I round I'm like oh man here's another thing I need to figure out and I need to help support people on versus like I've got it all figured out follow this 10-step system and you'll be good <laughs> that's just not how it works so basically you can provide people with the tools you know you can send them to Harvard Business School Cranley wherever you want to send them and that provides them with tools there must be a sort of is there a personality that you look for in promoting sort of a leader, someone who's more engaging, more outgoing, humorous, absorb, manages to absorb pressure a little more? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I think there's one thing that a lot of people will lean to a little bit, which is that kind of are they a little more extroverted, things like that. I've actually seen that. I don't look for that. I'd be, I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert for sure. At work, I can come across as, as extroverted, but at home, I'm like, give me a book and some quiet and I'm happy as can be, right? I get drained by the end of the day when I'm interacting with people all day. And uh, so, But you have kids, so that's impossible to do. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, the, the 12 minutes I find a day are, are magic uh, for sure. But it's... Uh, it's one of those things where I think the, the personality is really kind of like, are they accountable? So are, are they able to say, man, I messed that one up. It's time to, time to learn from that and the willingness to learn. Not necessarily like extroverted, introverted. I've, I've seen amazing extroverts do amazing work and I've seen amazing introverts do amazing work and they bring some slightly different skills to the table there. I think it's also position dependent, like not every leadership position, not every management position's the same. So, you know, you wouldn't want to put a hardcore introvert in to a 
sales position where they're entertaining clients every single day, all day. And, you know, it's a, the exact opposite of what they like to do and they feel burned out by the end of it and all of that. Um, So there is some very specific position things that you'll look for. I need a a specific personality type. And then, you know, I, I found another thing is really going through the interview process. It doesn't always, some of the best leaders that I've seen develop I, they weren't the best on paper, right? Their resumes weren't, their their education was sparse or none. Um, they really weren't prepared for that position. They started out some in a maybe an entry-level position, and you just saw them grow into these things because their skills started developing. They learned a ton. They were really engaged. And so I think having kind of that open mind and constantly learning is the number one thing, right? Like if you can identify your strengths, identify your weaknesses, and build on your strengths more so even you're going to see growth a lot faster. You see a lot of people try to balance out their weaknesses and they really focus on that. And it's like, well, that might just get you to kind of the average level of that weakness, where if your strengths are already above, lean into that even more. Don't neglect your weaknesses, develop those, but don't go all in on trying to equalize those. Um, And that's where I've seen people that, you know, they know I'm really good at, organization and project management type stuff. It's like, okay, well lean into that, continue to focus and and create more on that. And, and maybe these things, you know, you aren't great at, don't worry about it. I'm not as I'm far from an organized person on like managing my calendar, that type of stuff. But I have an assistant that is amazing at that. And so I get to not worry about that. And it goes back to delegation, like you talked about too, of like build a team around you that supports, that kind of offsets your strengths and weaknesses as well, whether it's in, in personal life too, right? Like develop relationships with people that are really good at some things that you're not good at because they're going to help you and you're going to learn a lot from them and they're going to help kind of help you navigate and see the world a little bit different. And, uh, I think that that kind of getting that diversity around you is really important. One question here, generalist or specialist? We live in this sort of world. I grew up with most people being generalists, and it took you 20, 30 years to become a specialist. Um, It takes you 30 years to become a heart surgeon, I would assume. And we now seem to exist amongst specialists who leave universities and six months later, that's the deal. Um, And it takes them 20 or 30 years to then become that generalist. Where do you sort of place yourself? Yeah, I'm definitely in the generalist category. You know, I work with some brilliant people that are specialists for sure. Like you said, there's the the surgeons that have mastered their craft and they've gone through that and stuff. I think most leaders, though, are generalists. There's very few good leaders that are specialists in in that because you can't be. You you lead a diverse team, right? Um, And so I found that kind of developing a very general set of skills has helped me quite a bit more. I I mean, I'm trained to be a mental health provider and um, I understand that part well, but even that, like as I've developed more of those generalist skills, um, it's improved my ability to provide care even for others. Like um, you can connect the dots a little bit better and, and zoom out of just like, here's the one task that I'm going to be really good at. Uh, here's the, here's how I've learned a ton of different stuff. It really is looking at kind of like 
when you're a leader or, or a care provider, like that holistic nature of I'm going to take care of the whole person, not just their heart or not just their. And, um, and as a leader, you're taking care of that whole department or whole organization or whatever it is. And so you can't just specialize in I'm going to be great at, you know, strategy. It's like there's some people that, right, there's some like chief strategy officers or whatever that, yeah, that they're going to really lean into that. But the, a num- I mean, look at CEOs, look at a lot of COOs, those types of people there. They're, if they were really good at only one thing, they probably wouldn't be super successful as a CEO or a COO or those type their teams and their, their knowledge needs to be much more diverse than that. I think your experiences have to be broad and therefore that sort of aids and adds to that generalist ability your generalization is not going to get you the job though that's the the issue isn't it it yeah i mean it's yeah how do you pitch that right like um, i'm the you know what's what's the saying connoisseur of all master of none um (laughs) and, and so yeah they're definitely i mean you have to as a generalist there is some level of creativity on how do you how do you speak to it so that it's a strength and not a weakness of like, Oh, he, he knows a little bit about everything, but he's not really good at anything type thing. Um, and so how do you speak to that? So instead it's, you know, you've diversified your experiences so you can connect with more people or so that you can, um, get to certain results that would be harder to get to. If you only focused on one specific area, um, there's some, crafting in the message because like you said if you're interviewing for a job or something they're gonna be like oh we need someone that only does this thing i've had that thing where i've explained to people and in the end they go terribly interesting so what is it you do and immediately you're into that okay i specialize in doing this and this and this you know i've had to say i take technically minded people and i move them into people minded people Ah, okay. Now I know what you do. It's kind of weird how we've almost sort of painted ourselves into a corner in that you have no choice but to be a specialist nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely moved into a much more, I mean, you see it in medicine, you see it all over. And in some, in some areas, it's very good, right? Like you, you want your brain surgeon to just be doing brain surgery. <laughs> like the, If he's in there, you definitely want that. But in other areas, it's like, you know, you might be missing something. I mean, we even see it with kids, right? They're getting more and more specialized in their extracurriculars now. There's not kind of, I'm going to go do everything. I'm going to, you know, play basketball in the fall. I'm going to play baseball in the spring. I'm going to, you know, that type of stuff. It's, uh, I only play basketball and I play it year round. Um, or I only do ballet. I don't do other dances, that type of stuff. And so we're seeing a push for the specialization and I do think there's going to be a, there is, there's that opportunity for that generalist because there has to be people that can connect all of that. I think my daughters, are, I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and they've lived in about four countries so far each and have been to about 15. Um, there's a huge, I mean, the, you know, it makes them sound very special, but there are millions of kids out there who live that very sort of transient lifestyle, understand two or three languages by the time they're 10, um, I think, do, tell me if you agree or disagree, that's where the generalists will come from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, uh, you know, and I think there's the other part of there's those certain there's certain personality types that from the time they've 
you know, hit their university education and things like they just know what they want to do and they're going to go do it. And then there's those people that change major seven times and um, aren't entirely sure. And, and they might even, or they might've even gone, gotten their degree in four years and then they got to the workplace and they're like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't the thing I want to do now. I've gotten some exposure over here and instead I'm going to learn a lot more about that. And um, I mean, that was, that was me. Right. I, I went in, I went to school. I thought I'm going to take care of patients. That's going to be my thing. I didn't think I was going to be a leader. I didn't think anything about that. And uh, you get some exposure and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I need to, I need to learn more. And you start developing a more generalized education through that part of it. And I think there's also more opportunity now to learn more than ever. Right. Like, something breaks in my house, I can look up a YouTube video now. I don't have to call a handyman, um, that type of stuff. And it's the same with other things. I mean, how many people have learned how to be excellent marketers just by taking like a brief online course or doing a YouTube video? There's So there's an opportunity to build so many skills. I think we, we, we saw this huge pendulum swing into specialists. And now I think we'll, we'll start to see it swing back a little bit into at least some people kind of getting more of that general base because they don't have to do it formally anymore either. Final question. You're from the United States. It's a difficult one. They can be dead or alive. Who's the most creative person in the United States? Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to adopt someone that's lived there for a while, but not originally from there. And that's de- for, in my mind, it's Neil Gaiman. He's kind of that. He's a master storyteller. Uh, if you've read his, any of his books, the the guy takes you on a journey that normally starts out in feeling pretty darn realistic and all of a sudden you're in a totally different world and uh he's just creative i did a, I, I went through his master class on storytelling and i mean the guy finds stories everywhere right like he wrote i mean I'd, I'd listened to a thing when he wrote stardust and he literally started that book by sitting in a cafe and there was a hole in a very old wall at, across from this cafe he was at and he wrote the book just from looking at that that is some wild creativity to me and the way that he can kind of tie things together. American gods is a great one too, right? He, that was when he moved to America and he found it super interesting that the, the, you know, traditions of being in the UK and these other areas where there's very old traditions just didn't exist in America. And instead there was the world's largest frying pan alongside the interstate and things like that, or technology was, uh, you know, kind of a, a big God that people were worshiping and things. So, um, yeah, he's wildly creative. Uh, I wish my brain worked like his it's, it's a, I, I love reading his stuff and it always kind of stretches my mind a little bit. My wife's a major fan. We, uh, I grew up on Doctor Who, and he started, I don't know whether he started, but for years he wrote many of the, the Doctor Who series, and uh, I don't know whether you've seen that, but it's a British institution. Yeah, yeah. So we're sad to see him go. We will never really allow you to have him. <laughs> <laughs> but we... D- do believe in allowing people to, you know, live where they like and to do as they wish. And if he wishes to ingratiate himself on your uh, your wonderful nation of people, then uh, we support him there. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I'm, I'm glad he's moved here so I can claim him because if not, that answer was going to be harder <laughs> for me to come up with. 
<laughs> well, I hope I've graciously allowed uh, allowed you to uh, to answer that. It's been an absolute pleasure, John. Um, I know we've spoken before. We could speak for hours. Um, I've had some fascinating guests. I have to say you're one of the most fascinating. You're the first person who does three things on the business coaching, the mentoring, the doctoral students, and also, as you put it, your day job, which means you're obviously a very important person in the child psychology world or the child's mental health world. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been absolutely interesting. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week. Don't forget to have a look at the website. You'll find some stuff to help you develop your creative abilities. I'm Joel. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you do?